Well, everyone, it's time once again to go inside EMS. I'm your host, Chris Avalero. Kelly Grayson won't be joining us today. He is out doing his best paramedic stuff, keeping the citizens of Louisiana safe. And this episode of the Inside EMS podcast is sponsored by Boundary Medical. Learn how Boundary can help you save minutes and lives at Boundary.com. Again, you know, we've started every show with kind of a, a tip of the hat to everybody who is doing great work out there and, you know, uh, you know, doing the best that they can under the circumstances, right? And I think that that's where EMS really kind of uh, shines, you know, and I mentioned in the last show, we got a lot of things going on that really would make our career field better. But in the cases of disaster, in the cases of mass shooting, in the cases of pandemic, EMS professionals are some of the best in the world, and they are really uh, answering the call. You know, I'm sure everyone is tired. I'm sure everyone is uh, fearful. I'm sure everyone is uh, frustrated, but yet we answer the call, and and I want to just say thank you to everyone for doing that. You know, so again, I think the purpose of the shows as we try to go forward when we talk about COVID-19 and the pandemic is learning the best practices of what's going on in the United States. You know, Seattle was one of the first states that were hit. And, uh, you know, really, we kind of kept an eye on Seattle for a long time. And how are they now using this pandemic to prepare the rest of the United States? And we're keeping an eye on New York. We're keeping an eye on California. Of course, you know, Seattle was one of those places we were keeping an eye on. Well, there are some great EMS professionals here in our career field that are doing some great work. And we have one of those people here that are going to join us today. Uh, Our friend, Catherine Counts. I I don't know that we've, she's been back since we've been able to say this. Dr. Catherine Counts, by the way, I like to say she's EMS royalty. Uh, She is the acting instructor of the University of Washington section of EMS and the research and quality improvement manager for Seattle Medic One. Catherine, thanks for joining us again on Inside EMS. Great to be here, Chris. You know, so, you know, you kind of heard in the introduction, right, Seattle. I mean, we were all kind of paying attention to that. And, you know, you now live up there. And again, you're working for the University of Washington. You're working with uh, Seattle Medic One. So maybe can you just, before we talk about data, because I think that's going to be really important and that's kind of your expertise, but maybe can you kind of take us through the first few days, the first couple weeks of what it was like up there in Seattle and and maybe your... uh, you know, how you were kind of folding into that uh, in the beginning. Yeah. So Seattle's journey started on January 21st. I have vivid memories of doing, we were in the middle of EMS Grand Rounds, which is where we teach our EMS fellows training to be EMS medical directors, kind of the science of EMS. And Eric Cooper was there and Dr. Sarah was there and you could just tell there was something going on. And one of the sessions that we spent doing, we spent that day was actually reading an article on COVID-19 patients coming out of China. And then an hour later, they announced the first case up in Snohomish County. And it was like, oh, that's why we're reading this article. And kind of from January 21 on, it was, we were aware of it. We were thinking about it. It was like, all right, well, what happens if it comes here? The what ifs, the what if conversations kind of continued to roll. But life still went on as normal. We weren't 100% COVID until the first death was announced about a month later. And, um, I was actually in Texas at the time after ESO wave, but there was a press conference and there was a death. And I I kind of like you have those memories of when you find out something happened. Like I know when and where I was when 9-11 was announced. Um, I will never forget where I was when I found out about the first death in in King County because it just 
it, it just sticks with you. And it was in a nursing home and it was like, oh boy, this is going to be bad. And from then on, we have been kind of sprinting and now marathoning through COVID-19 and essentially 100%, although of course none of us are only working 40 hours a week of COVID, COVID, COVID all day, all the time. Right. And, and one of the things I asked you before we started, you know, to record, since, you know, Seattle was uh, kind of the first spot to, uh, you know, announce a death and really to kind of uh, keep their eye on the pandemic, uh, on the virus. Um, so I asked you if it was getting better and you said it's, you don't know if it's getting better, but you know, it's not getting worse. So kind of give us an update of where Seattle is, if you have a sense of that. Yeah. So in the public health world, we call this syndromic surveillance. And initially it's, it's been called, um, influenza like illness. So you think of kind of respiratory and fever esque cases, and now we're calling it COVID like illness and just making sure that we're monitoring the number of cases that we're seeing in our community. And Seattle, um, is a very, it's, it's not an East coast city. It's a very kind of, if you tell people to do something, they actually sort of comply. And so the governor didn't do very strict, um, like stay home orders very quickly. He kind of casually was like, guys, stay home, guys, stay home. Like he made it easy to stay home, made it harder to go out. And so we've had this gradual downslope of activity throughout the community. And with that, you know, as you decrease activity, of course, cases for the next two weeks continue to rise, but now we're two weeks since the stay home order. And I'm not going to say we're seeing officially seeing anything in the data yet, but we're definitely not experiencing the scariness that is New York city. Yeah, and I think that's really important. And, you know, one of the things that uh, I've realized, too, is that when we start to see this increase, one of the reasons has to be because we're doing more testing than we were before, though. It doesn't necessarily mean it's getting worse. It just means that we haven't been able to test the people that needed to be tested. And, of course, we're just going to see a rise. Isn't that, isn't that the case? Totally. So that initial, of course, you only when you restrict testing, you only test the people that are most suspiciously covid you're essentially confirming what you already know. And so the rate of positive to negative is like four to one or three to one or, you know, two to one. It's, it's excessively COVID heavy. Um, but as we expand testing, we're starting to see maybe, you know, 3% of tests are positive or 7% of tests are positive or 10% of tests are positive. Cause we know like, you know, the vast majority of the community doesn't have COVID, but we need to figure out who does so we can dampen their movements because those asymptomatic folks or this kind of like minor symptom folks, those are the ones that are scary. Because if you, if you feel like you have COVID and you're running a fever and you have a cough, like most people are pretty smart and stay home or they get so sick they end up in the hospital. But it's controlling that like less sick population and making sure they understand they too are contributing to this when they move around. So yeah, testing, testing changes the story. Yeah. So I think that that's one of the things, you know, one of the other things too, is I think the fear factor of what the, uh, you know, the 24-hour news cycle is giving us, you know, they're talking about deaths, 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 but we're almost 98% of people who get better in this disease. You know, we did a show uh, the other day with uh, one of the first paramedics that had COVID, and he's, you know, told us, uh, you know, he felt fine, he didn't have a fever, you know, he had a little dry cough, he had a little GI, and, and I think that this fear of this disease and the, and the fear mongering that's going on is really kind of making it worse. But I think it's something that we need to be aware of, but I don't know that it's something that we need to be um, uh, totally fearful of, that if we get it, we're going to die. I mean, yeah, statistically, if you get this disease, you're, you're not going to die. But the real question is, if you get this disease, who are you going to give it to that's going to die? So yeah, while that's, yes, that's a great point. That's a great point. Yeah, there's only, you know, okay, so maybe between, let's 
say between one and 5% of people that get this die across the entire population. We know that of those first nursing home patients that got it, 50% died. So kind of which population are you in? And I, I don't want people to see this as, oh, well, it's only 1% chance of death. It's like, okay, for you, maybe. But the reason this disease is so bad and why we're so aware and kind of appropriately fearful of it is because of who it could kill. I saw this great meme on um, Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, who knows these days, but it was talking about like, do you want to be the person that kills Betty White? And so maybe you don't know Betty White, but what if you get COVID and then you give it to somebody that knows Betty White and then they give her COVID and then she dies, like protect Betty White, stay at home. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, I think that's, that's really funny. So from, you know, a public health standpoint, and now from a public health standpoint, you know, this is kind of the, you know, you're being thrust. I mean, you, you study about all these things, and now you're actually living it. So from your career's work, your career's education of being in public health, I mean, give me your expert opinion here. I mean, what do you think? What do you feel? And what are you seeing? I mean, do you have any type of insight that you can share with the listeners to say, you know, th- this is what I think from a public health standpoint? I mean, from a public health standpoint, some states are doing better than others. My specific area was from healthcare, health systems. And so I think about it as a statewide policy perspective. And I mean, we all know different states are behaving very differently right now. And scholars are going to study this pandemic from the United States alone for decades to come because we haven't really had systematic national leadership. So state by state variation is creating a very interesting story and one that will eventually, you know, the truth will come with time. We will eventually better understand kind of these policies that people claim were kind of an infringement on rights might actually have been what was best for the community. You know, maybe shutting down for an extra month now is better both health-wise and economy-wise for the next six months. And a lot of people don't necessarily understand like short-term decisions have long-term consequences. They're thinking about the today and the today is really scary because you're or just really obnoxious because you're trapped at home for a month straight. But yeah, from um, we're reliving the lessons that we learned in 1918, but those lessons are so far removed, people don't always believe them. So this has been a very interesting kind of social experiment, if not anything else. Well, I think that one of the things that I know about you is you'll be one of those scholars who are studying this for years to come. And as you start to uh, you know gain that knowledge, you know, please come back and share it with us. Because uh, we've got to be able to understand, we've got to be able to learn, we've got to be able to take those lessons and prepare for not uh, if, but when this happens again. So I want to take a quick break here, Catherine, but when we come back on the other side, I want to get into your area of expertise, which is data, data collection, uh, data mining, data management. I want to talk a little bit about that. But before we do that, as your partner in EMS for over 40 years, Boundary has made it their goal to provide you with more than just emergency medical supplies and equipment. Bountree partners with you to create efficiencies within your agency, streamline your operations, and to help you find ways to make the most out of your budget. Your dedicated account manager will be a true partner, acting as your personal advisor to help you determine which solutions are right for you and your specific needs. To find out more or to set up a new account, visit Bountree.com or call 800-533-0523. You know, so Catherine, you know, from your side, data, data collection, you know, and, and analyzing this data, you know, uh, you know, in God we trust, everybody else bring data. And that's kind of your area of expertise. Can you give us a little insight 
of what you started to do in this pandemic? You know, as you started to, you know, live through the Seattle time, you know, I'm sure that you were head down and trying to figure out what do we need to capture and how do we need to capture it? So what's been going on on your side? Yeah, so I've been working with a really awesome team out of uh, Public Health King County, Seattle. Specifically, they have a section of EMS, which is a bunch of really smart epidemiologists that know way more about uh, transmission of disease and epidemiology than I do. So heavily relying on them, I will admit that fully. Um, So, of course, one of the first things we did is being in Washington State and in King County, we are blessed that our EMS system is well integrated into public health. And the public health group has direct connection to the lab result test data. So we know anyone that's tested positive, we have their name, we have their date of birth, and we've been able to use technology to match those with our EMS medical records. So we know that, you know, John Smith tested positive three days ago, and oh, look, four days ago, John Smith was transported by XYZ Fire Department. Okay, how do we use that information to create change? Well, first of all, there's daily surveillance of these matches, and so there's physician review and epidemiologic review of the of the Uh, patient care records on EMS to see, all right, well, was everybody wearing PPE? And I got to say, I'm not sponsored, but ESO has been a really good ally in this because they have been changing their medical record design in real time to better help us capture PPE and just everything kind of related to COVID. As we give them feedback, they have been modifying their structure of their of their platform, which is really awesome because it makes that surveillance from like a quarantine isolation exposure perspective a lot easier. So that's kind of one bucket is, did we treat a human with COVID and were the providers wearing the appropriate PPE when it happened? And then eventually what happened to that patient on the back end? You know, they, they went to the hospital, they were transported BLS, they were transported ALS, did they die? The second bucket that we're focusing on is this quarantine and isolation area. So right now in our region, we are we are uh, we have the capacity that anyone that has any exposure to someone with with known COVID, where they weren't wearing appropriate PPE, they could put on an automatic 14-day quarantine, uh, and that involves kind of daily symptom monitoring, such that we can capture as they transition into being sick with COVID, should they transition into being sick with COVID. And so we've got our, our guys are, and our gals are filling out kind of, this is my name, this is who I work for, and kind of this is how I'm feeling today. And by how I'm feeling, it's like, yes, no, do you have fever? Yes, no, do you have a cough, runny nose? Any of the like the variety of symptoms, they are looking at that. And then if they check yes for any of those symptoms, we've got a paramedic that kind of filters that and our health and safety officers for the various departments. And they push these guys to do first responder testing, which is our kind of, I'll call it our third bucket of data. And one of the things Seattle did, and there's a Seattle Times article I can give you for your show notes, but we were one of the first uh, areas, maybe the first in the country to set up a first responder testing site. And so it was a collaboration between police and Seattle. And we've got like 30 EMTs trained, EMTs and paramedics trained to do swabbing and a relationship with UW Virology. So we can test daily for uh, first responders that are feeling symptomatic either with known exposure or when it comes to the police department, it's a little harder to confirm exposure. So kind of anyone that's symptomatic can get a test. And now even in the, in Seattle fire, they've expanded it. Anyone that's having any symptoms like, Hey, get tested better safe than sorry. Let's check you out and see how you're doing. And so that's that like third bucket of data is who's getting tested. What are they feeling? Are they positive? And from that we've captured a good chunk of positive patients. I think we're at about a 10% positive rate for first responders. 
but we're still looking to kind of expand our testing because mind you, this is a biased sample because these are people that have symptoms. It's not the entire first responder population in our entire county. Um, and then I think the fourth bucket will be some kind of epidemiological evaluation of kind of the transmission of disease over over time. So yeah, we know we know how there was a New England Journal of Medicine article that tracked the first cohort of patients in the life care center nursing home and kind of how did they get sick and then how did other residents at other nursing homes get sick? And of course it was through staff that were shared or transfers between the nursing homes. Kind of, okay, how are our firefighters getting sick? How are our EMTs and our paramedics getting sick? Like what is their pathway to exposure? So those are the those are the things I'm thinking about right now. Yeah, I got to tell you, I mean, as you were talking, I'm scribbling here because there's just so much, you know, that could come from this. And I don't even know what my next question should be, you know, but I think the the question that kept popping up as you were asking these, as you were responding was, you know, from from this work that you've been doing, ha have you sat back in your chair and almost had an aha moment or were surprised about something that you were seeing? I mean, so what kind of caught you off guard as you were going through all this work? Well, let's be clear. It's not just me doing this work. There's a lot of really smart people doing this. But I think the there was an oh, duh movement of like COVID in a nursing home is bad. Um, I'm not going to say aha. And I think also is recognizing that the risk for transmission is when you least expect it. So um, we know when we go into a patient and they're coughing and they have a fever or they're calling 911 for any reason, we kind of nowadays we're all on high alert. I mean, we're already kind of on alert depending on the situation, but now it's like, okay, how am I going to get COVID today? And you walk in and you're like, all right, this patient could possibly be COVID. I and mean, you PPE up, you wash your hands, you're really obsessive. But then when you're in the rig with your partner or you're in the fire station or the EMS station or you're joking around after, after a bad call, are you aware of how disease is transmitting between you and other first responders and the risk that those relationships pose? Because I think that's something that we haven't fully evaluated yet. And we just want to make sure like we protect everyone from all sides of the conversation. And I think that that's one of the things that really is interesting. I mean, you know, we, we talk about you know, universal precaution, seen safe from the very beginning, but we don't really practice that. You know, everybody thinks universal precautions are just putting on gloves. And now when we talk about, you know, people who are uh, uh, touching things that they shouldn't touch, you know, it was interesting because I was in the a public restroom the other day, I was washing my hands and and then I watched the guy next to me wash his hands and then he just closed the, you know, he closed the uh, faucets and then you know, he went over and he started to, uh, he wiped something off the mirror. And I was like, you know, can I just point something out to you, you know? And he just didn't even think about it, you know? And even from the standpoint of EMS, we're taking our gloves off, we're washing our hands, we're reaching our phone, or people are coughing into their hand. You know, we don't really understand the magnitude of the things we're doing because they're habit. And really what we're doing is we're cross-contaminating because we're not truly paying attention to it. Well, I think there's some of that at play. And also this disease is just very easily transmittable via just kind of casual interactions. We're realizing that community risk of transmission is, is surprisingly easy. I mean, it's an easy disease to kill. Just take some Clorox and you're good. Wash your hands for 20 seconds and you're fine. But it's all those like little things where you don't think that you need to clean it. You don't think that it gets dirty. So yeah, definitely it's something we have to consider and we have to be hypersensitive to, which of course creates downstream consequences of just the emotional toll that this is taking on everyone. You know, so Catherine, I'm sure that there were a lot of things that were learned, you know, as part of this uh, pandemic and, you know, you guys kind of be in the first state. 
I mean, how, how have the resources worked out? I mean, can people get on online? Can they see that stuff? Or, you know, what came of this from a resource side? Yeah, so King County EMS has actually created kind of a one-stop shop for all of our lessons learned and our documents, whether it's a return to work algorithm or kind of a BLS leave at home algorithm, or every Tuesday, Dr. Saren, Dr. Ray, who are our Seattle medical director and King County medical director, do a one-hour kind of grand rounds of the state of COVID in, in Seattle, King County today. All of that's on a single website, and I think we can put that in the show notes for people so they can peruse it at their pleasure. Yeah, I think that sounds really good. And, and any any information that we can get from the people who are doing the work, I mean, why reinvent the wheel? Um, you know, we're, we're kind of in this together. So, you know, I got to tell you, every time you come, it's, it's always entertaining, and I always enjoy it. I mean, so, you know, from your standpoint, what you're seeing, you know, from a public health side and certainly respect the fact that you're working with some great people. And I think that just continues the greatness that, uh, you know, is you as you start to gain more and more knowledge of these things. And I don't want to say it comes at a good time for people who are in public health and epidemiology, but it comes at a good time for the folks that are the experts in this to really kind of track, really try to understand, really trying to help the people who are taking care of these folks to do a better job. So if you kind of give me a final thought on what you've experienced or what you think or what you see, what do you share with the listeners? I think my final thought is the world, this crisis is causing the world to change. It's, it's not just our industry that's impacted. It's not just healthcare that's impacted. Every single industry is impacted, whether it's trade or finance or farming, everything. This is, I mean, it's a pandemic at the root cause. And so the lesson learned is that nothing is going to be the same ever again. And this idea that we're going to kind of revert back to the to the old way of doing things doesn't work. There is going to be a new normal. And when will that new normal come? No idea. Um, this isn't the only time we're going to have COVID-19. It's going to, it's going to come back to bite us again next year, I'd bet. And so how are we pivoting? I've seen some really great examples of pivots in other industries. I've seen some really great examples of creativity in EMS. And I've seen some really great examples of kind of teamwork and creative thinking and just everyone everyone knows they're on the same team even if we're not actually wearing the same name badge and recognizing that some creativity is good but we also have to revert back to our root cause like our, our root our root goal in life is to help people and to save lives through the pre-hospital system and so while I'm happy in a way to see public health getting a really good focus on EMS and I'm happy to see people transitioning and recognizing kind of the, um, happy is the wrong word, but recognizing the risks that are faced by pre-hospital care providers and kind of the brunt of the work that they do and that spectrum. I also want to make sure that people don't forget that the other emergencies still exist. Uh, that's something that we're interestingly that I would call that my like fifth bucket of data that we're starting to look at a little bit more is, you know, we still have, should be having the same number of cardiac arrests. We should still be treating cardiac arrests the same as we always have, just with a little more PPE. And we want to make sure that we don't forget to do what we do well, regardless of kind of COVID and understanding that until you're in kind of crisis of care model and we're truly kind of triaging resources and saying, you know what, I'm choosing who lives and who dies today, then we can continue to do what we do well. And 
although it has been 100% all the time, we have to remember that the other patients do still exist. And so I, I think I think that's my final thought. And I'll tell you, that's a great final thought, Catherine. I, I'm, I'm going to look forward to the stuff you're going to write and put out. And please promise us as you uh, learn more things that could be insightful that you're going to come back. You're going to share it with uh, Kelly and I. I'm sure Kelly will be back by the time that happens. And I appreciate the work that you do. I appreciate your professionalism coming on the show, sharing with the listeners. And you're always one of my favorite guests because I come out smarter on the back end. Thanks, Chris. It was a pleasure talking with you. All right, everybody out there, I want to thank you for joining us once again on Inside EMS. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Catherine Counts. And for Kelly Grayson, I'm Chris Sabalero. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, go ahead and email us at the show at ems1.com. And we look forward to talking with everyone again real soon.